from the studios of Farm Journal Broadcast. This is Ag Day. A shock to the market. Big increase in the placements, and I think those are mostly light cattle. An update on the latest cattle on feed numbers that sunk the market earlier this week. Have soils that are too dry, too wet, or too salty? So when you take the worst soils out, those best soils really shine. And so the yield goes up. How you can flip your soil for free. As an early season winter storm slows harvest, but the news may not be all bad for some crops. Right now on Ag Day. Ag Day, presented by Pioneer. What's next happens when experience meets expertise. Pioneer, what's next happens here. Good morning, I'm Michelle Rock, coming to you from our Farm Journal studios in Kansas City. Clinton has the day off. Happening right now, a winter storm system is continuing to press east after blanketing the Pacific Northwest and the Northern Plains with heavy snowfall. The early season storm covering some areas in a foot of snow or more. We start our tour in Spokane, Washington, where the National Weather Service there started to see snow outside their office yesterday morning. At that time, meteorologists said it wasn't sticking to surfaces. From there, we traveled to Timberline Lodge at Mount Hood, Oregon, where heavy snow fell Tuesday night before leveling out a bit yesterday. However, temperatures were well below freezing last night. The snow also moving into Montana and North Dakota. The National Weather Service saying that bands of heavy snow would make travel difficult. Following this, expect temperatures to nosedive with chilly air anticipated for the northern plains. And those lower temperatures could dip as far south as Texas early next week. And meteorologist Matt Engelbrecht is continuing to track this storm and joins us with an update. That's about time. Now, now we start talking about colder air snowfall. You've already seen uh, some of that. Now I want to talk a little bit about where that cold air is going to head next. Now as we go into this afternoon, uh, still looking at some warm temperatures, a ridge of high pressure pulling the 80s into Louisiana, uh, parts of Arkansas, Alabama and the southeast. The 70s is still up into the Midwest, but look at that 31 to 18 pocket of cold air and that will be shifting back down to the south. So as we get into tomorrow morning, got Rapid City at about 16 at 9 in Bismarck Billings at about 10 degrees uh, with a cold front starting to come through uh, the northwest down to the southeast. That's going to be the first of two and what you'll see in that jet stream coming up in a little bit. There's going to be a reinforcing shot of some colder air across the nation uh, by Halloween. Hey, here's a look at the temperature coming up for tomorrow afternoon in and across that nation. A defined line uh, between the uh, cool, if not cold and dry, and the warm. 84 in St. Louis matched that up against Omaha at 44 degrees. Yields in the Fields on Ag Day is brought to you by Micro Essentials, the super granule that packs balanced nutrition into a single granule for uniform nutrient distribution, increased nutrient uptake, and season-long sulfur availability beating commodity fertilizers every time. Supercharge your yields with the Mighty Micro from Mosaic. And take a look at your screen here. Got a corn harvest rolling on. Adele sending this one of Savage Montana, finishing up corn harvest before the storm. Adele says yields are fantastic. He says we're averaging anywhere between 220 to 240 bushels to the acre on irrigated ground. I'll have more on your forecast coming up. While it might slow harvest, there is a bit of good news coming out of this storm when it comes to the winter weed crop. 
the snow, obviously a great insulator for the emerging crop. So where we do get significant snow, no concerns to the winter wheat. And in fact, that'll be a benefit because that snow will eventually provide moisture to the crop as well. Ruppy does say, however, we will have to keep an eye on areas further south of where the snow falls for the potential of exposure, especially in areas of drought, such as Kansas and Nebraska, as well as portions of Montana due to low temperatures, which could result in some burnback of the crop. And the planting of that new winter wheat crop is nearly three quarters complete across the U.S. with emergence at 53%. In Washington state, they're wrapping up seeding after another extremely dry fall in some areas. Farmers there reporting planting at 95% done. That's three points ahead of normal. Emergence is three points ahead as well at 68%. Crop conditions are variable, but in the east or the Palouse region, they're seeing lingering drought. The crop was planted into dry soil, so the stands are poor and thin. And on the wheat that has emerged, the crop is short as farmers were waiting there for rain to plant. And then when you get into the more eastern side of the state, it's very dry. There's been a lot of farmers that are reseeding, trying to potentially um, get the wheat up before uh, a potential rain to see if we can get some stands. So I do know that the hilltops and hillsides are very bare due to um, no moisture. Henning says if they receive moisture from this system and more snow over the winter, some farmers may seed spring wheat in the spring. Wheat acres have been on the decline in Washington, including last season. Dryland farmers there have very few options, but in irrigated areas, they may plant less wheat as prices have dropped substantially from a year ago and fuel prices have skyrocketed cutting into margins. The U.S. is on track to achieve a record-breaking year in soybean meal exports this season. It's reported an estimated 13.2 million tons were shipped in marketing year 2022-23 with a total value of nearly $7 billion. The surge in exports is attributed to increased soybean crush for biomass-based diesel production and expanded shipments to the European Union and Vietnam as Argentina's soybean meal exports were hampered by drought. Historically, we've exported, you know, 11, 12 million tons a year, and we've got, you know, record exports from this recently completed year. But in the years to come, we're going to have increased uh, production and availability of soy meal. And recently, I got an inside look at how ag products such as soybean meal are moved out of the PNW. Look for our reports on that starting next week on Ag Day. A new check on the fertilizer industry says that market is recovering. The report from Rabobank analysts say while global fertilizer use dropped by 7% last year, they expect an increase in usage by 3% this year and by 5% next year. As for prices, they are forecasting a positive outlook through 2024. They say the nitrogen market faces challenges due to lower demand from corn and wheat growers, while the outlook for potash and phosphate is positive. The potash market right now is ample supply, while the phosphate market is on the rise thanks to the return of Chinese exports. Flip Your Soil on Ag Day is brought to you by Nutrien Economics. Expert advice when you need it. Learn more at NutrienEconomics.com. One way to improve yields on your farm is to focus on marginal acres and work to flip those acres and that soil into something more productive. South Dakota State University, in partnership with farm and conservation groups, has a free program to help. It's called Every Acre Counts. From 8 to 12 percent of every farm in the northern plains has marginal acres, and they're generally soils that are too wet, too dry, or too salty. 
However, through the Every Acre Counts program, SDSU is helping farmers identify those unproductive acres. Well, most farmers know there's a problem in the field, but what we use is a precision profitability analysis where we take in their precision ag data and, and combine it with their economics and, and do a profitability analysis across the field. Bly says that data is kept confidential, but mapped out and then compared to normalized yields. And it's not about really knowing where the problem is, it's about where does that profitability line start and begin. Once that's identified, farmers can make informed management decisions for every acre of their operation. We provide them with how many bushels they'd have to increase in that area to break even, or how, how, how far they would have to reduce their expenses to break even. And, and a lot of the times it's it's not going to happen. It's this is a voluntary working lands program, and Bly says the fix for marginal acres is generally returning native vegetation back to the land to improve soil health. You know, if we think about those soils, the soil health there is, 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 is really poor. And, and so if we address those areas with another, another way of managing them, uh, perennials, uh, cover crops, whatever it would be, uh, we've automatically improved, improved soil health there. Bly says they've analyzed nearly 54,000 acres and 2,600 have been put back into CRP or conservation programs offered through Pheasants Forever and other groups. And they're seeing real results. So when you take the worst soils out, those best soils really shine. And so the yield goes up. And so does profitability. However, Bly says the long-term goal is to change the mindset of producers so they realize that not all soils are created equal and some acres are better suited for practices other than crops. Grains pulled back on Wednesday while livestock tried to stage a recovery. I'll have details in markets now next. And later, strange things are showing up in one of the hottest and driest places in the world in the country. Farmland prices in Iowa appear to be leveling off after two years of record highs. The Des Moines Register reporting several factors are contributing to a slowdown, including drought, declining farm profits, and rising costs, along with higher interest rates. But despite those things, farmland prices in the state inched up 0.6% last month compared to last year. Last year, farmland values in Iowa surged by 10.4%, averaging more than $13,700 an acre. And that's after a more than 43% increase in 2021. Market observers say that although those record-breaking sales we've been telling you about aren't as frequent as before, they are still happening. And farmland remains a high side after commodity. Farm lending at banks continued to slow in the third quarter, along with the drop in operating loan volumes. That's the latest assessment from the Federal Reserve Bank of Kansas City. Economists saying the number of new non-real estate farm loans was flat compared with a year ago, while the average loan size shrank by nearly 20 percent, which you can see on the far right of this chart. They say lending is softened due to nearly two years of increases in farm loan interest rates. Officials also say the farm economy has moderated in recent months as profit margins have thinned, coupled with lower commodity prices and increased expenses. Grains lower on Wednesday. Matt Bennett with agmarket.net joining us with analysis and the pressure that we saw, Matt, in those grains, how much of it was technical selling as it looks like a lot of these fund traders are kind of risk averse here with some of the macroeconomic climate. 
Yeah, there's no question that that is the case to an extent. It's kind of a path of least resistance is lower. It's actually surprising to me on Tuesday to see the bean market as strong as what it was. Whenever you saw the dollar as strong as what it was, you know, corn and wheat were certainly lower. And then you look over at beans, of course, led by bean meal. Bean complex was awfully strong other than bean oil there on Tuesday. And then you come in on Wednesday and really across the board, you saw kind of a risk off type trade. And again, I feel like it's a path of least resistance is lower. You got to have some really strong news to kind of feed the bull, if you will, especially this time of year, especially whenever you're in this type of an environment. Yeah. And, you know, the corn market took up that 482 support area, but we're below a lot of key moving averages. How concerned are you technically about that market? Yeah, I mean, there's really no moving averages below us at this point. You know, the only thing people are pointing to is the contract low at uh, 467 and three quarters. You know, is that somewhere that we're going to go down and test? You know, I'm not so sure that we won't, especially at this point in the year. A lot of this depends. You know, you keep hearing about some awfully good yields out of the Eastern Corn Belt. It's something that many of us expected, but I think better than expected has been a fairly common theme here over the last several days. And so, yeah, I don't think that the market is uh, is ignoring that fact by any means. I, I do think it's something that's being discussed. Yeah. What's it going to take to get soybeans back over $13? Because, you know, we even had some China business on Wednesday that failed to really excite the market. Well, it's going to take South American weather, in my opinion. You know, there's no question that this bean mill story is, is certainly something people have paid attention to. Bean mill has led the bean market higher in the past. We know Argentina is awfully short on bean mill, about to run out of soybeans. And so, you know, if you end up with this hot, dry environment in South America, especially in parts of Brazil, you know, uh, continue. My personal opinion is they could definitely lead to some fireworks in the bean market. The unfortunate reality is if you don't get that weather, you've got to remember that this world uh, balance sheet, the stocks are just uh, awfully, awfully, awfully large at this stage of the game. So, you know, it's going to be tough to be able to overcome that without a major weather disturbance. Okay, something to keep an eye on. Thanks for joining us. Matt Bennett with agmarket.net. We'll have more Ag Day coming up. To contact Matt Bennett at Ag Market, call 844-4-AG-MARKET or visit their website at www.agmarket.net. There's only about three out of four seasons that we can get away with this, with what I'm about to explain. You got a fall, winter, and a spring. You got a map on here, and you got two bullseyes, one in the yellow here, and then one in the red down here, but different types of precipitation depending on where you're located. It's going to be all rain back down here to the south, the Texas into Oklahoma, uh, upwards about two, three, maybe even four inches uh, of uh, rainfall around uh, some thunderstorms. Otherwise, back up here to the north, and you can kind of tell that the system is different because the contour, the colors, are spread out. It's not nearly as high, but it is snow in and across the Dakotas, especially the higher terrain, including into Canada and Minnesota, with, again, that yellow indicating more light rain, if not some light snow mixed in. That's going through Saturday night at 7 p.m. Now, I want to get right into what's going on with the jet stream. It is pretty dynamic. We're getting a lot of uh, north push of some of these ridges developing and also hanging on and then southerly uh, pulls with this trough back down here to the south. Uh, that's going to reinforce some of the colder air going forward. So our pattern starts to break down a Friday into Saturday regarding the ridge that has been responsible for those above average high temperatures, record high temperatures uh, and also some elevated dew points making their way farther north. 
by Saturday and Sunday, this ridge starts to break down. Uh, we set up uh, first our initial trough Saturday and into Sunday. It's a cold front that we looked at on that national map uh, just a little bit ago. And then by Monday and Tuesday, there's a reinforcing shot coming down from the north to the south by Monday and also into Tuesday, uh, which is going to cut into some of those high temperatures uh, struggling to get to about uh, 40 degrees, 45 degrees or so in portions of the Midwest, obviously colder uh, the closer you get to the deeper uh, blue or the, I want to say it, deep purple. As for that temperature outlook, so October 30th through November 3rd, and you see that big blue all across the United States. Gonzalez, mostly sunny, higher on 87 degrees, low of 69 degrees. That's Louisiana. Colby. Kansas, mostly sunny, high around 65, low of 30. Moorhead, Kentucky, mostly sunny, high around 79 degrees. Ag Day is brought to you by Neogen. Ingenity Beef by Neogen is a simple DNA test that allows you to make selection decisions in your replacement heifers that will build the future of your cow herd. Learn more at neogen.com. Live cattle futures midweek were still trying to rebound from Monday's hefty losses. Those losses follow the results of the latest cattle on feed report. The numbers showing that cattle and calves on feed totaled 11.6 million head as of October 1st. Now that's up 1% from the same time last year and the second highest October 1 inventory since the series began. That was more cattle than expected, surprising the market. Placements in feedlots last month also totaling 2.21 million head. That's a 6% increase over 2022. Now, while marketings of fed cattle last month totaled 1.66 million head, down 11%, experts say large areas of the country are still in drought and forage supplies are still very short. It's still very, very dry in parts of Texas, uh, Kansas, and Mexico. And so you had a pretty good influx, particularly in Texas, a big increase in the placements, and I think those are mostly light cattle. Meanwhile, prices for feeders are very high, so more of them are going to feedlots. A poultry company is confirming it's under federal investigation after reports more than two dozen children were found working illegally inside a plant. The plant is Gerber's Poultry, and it's located in Kidron, Ohio, near Canton. The plant produces Amish farm chicken. NBC News reporting federal agents raided the plant early this month, took photos of the workers, and were asking for documents to show that they were of age and legally allowed to work in the U.S. It reports the children were mainly from Guatemala and worked the plant's second shift because it fits with the school schedules. No arrests were made at the time of the investigation. Gerber's Poultry saying in a statement that it has strict policies against hiring minors, is fully cooperating with the investigation, and is actively reviewing its policies. Coming up, signs of life in one of the hottest, driest places on earth. What park rangers have discovered growing in Death Valley, next in the country. Ag Day is brought to you by Neogen. Ingenity Beef by Neogen is a simple DNA test that allows you to make selection decisions in your replacement heifers that will build the future of your cow herd. Learn more at neogen.com. It's the hottest place in the world and the driest place in North America, but things are changing in California's Death Valley. Two months after Hurricane Hillary brought epic rainfall, parts of the National Park are now dotted with lakes and flowers. 
The National Park Service saying Badwater Basin, the lowest point in North America, is now home to a temporary lake that is several miles long. Hillary dumped a year's worth of rain, 2.2 inches, on Death Valley in just 24 hours on August 20th, the wettest day in the park's history. Until then, it had never recorded more than two inches of rainfall in a single day. The dry desert soil couldn't absorb the excessive rainfall fast enough, which triggered flash flooding. Damage was so severe, it forced the park to close for several months. That's all the time we have for this morning. Thanks for watching. For all of us at Ag Day, I'm Michelle Rook. Have a great day.